the wonderful pleasure to have a couple of great IT executives that are going to be with me in this session. So first thing that I want you to do that you're watching this, we're going to be sharing it through the different platforms, is that I want you to share this because we're going to be talking about how IT leaders need to work during a pandemic crisis. And you know that we're going through that, but I want to be able to share that with all of you. So you can also ask questions. So I'm going to be having the questions on the phone and I'm going to have my two best friends and leaders that I have, I have worked with for a long time and I trust them. And the whole conversation is going to be how to really manage IT during this crisis. So I want to, I want to present or introduce first uh, on my left, I have Paul Lewis, Global CTO. Hey, Paul. Hey, how's it going? Glad to be here. And I have with me the Dungeons and Dragons Master, or whatever title you want to give. This is the <laughs> biggest dude in the area, Howard Holton. Hey, Howard. Hey, Carlos. How are you? Very good. And you? Good, and good. as I said, my friends, make sure that you share this and that I'm going to enable all the questions right now. So you guys could ask us any questions while we're on this stream. And Paul and Howard, uh, this crisis is actually something very interesting for IT organization. Do you think? Uh, it is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an understatement, right? I think this is the, the most interesting crisis we've had since the 1920 Spanish flu. Yeah. So from an IT the traditional IT role that is help enable an organization to bring their view or their vision into reality with technology, has that changed during this time? I don't think they have a choice but to change. The reality is a good portion of these organizations are at home, right? They're, they're closed up their shops, they've closed up the plants, they've uh, all of the resources that used to be centrally located is now federated at home. So they, they have to change the way they're doing business. And a good portion of these businesses are, in fact, not earning any revenue. So therefore, IT's role has changed dramatically because of it. Uh, now, if we want to sort of break down the conversation, let's kind of break it down in four points, because I think we want to double click on each one of these points. So, so think of a CIO's perspective now in a pandemic as four different concerns. Right. So concern number one. Um, how do I manage capability? And by that, by that I mean, how do I uh, do things that usually required more than one person in a room, whether that's create something or solve a problem, right? So that's number one. Number two is, uh, which is less obvious but still important, is resiliency and capacity, right? I'm used to, as a CIO, thinking about capacity in terms of my data center, in terms of availability of those applications to people who work in my office, right? Um, thirdly is cybersecurity. How do I now have to think of cybersecurity not only as keeping the bad guys out, which of course will get worse in this pandemic, um, and then de figuring out how to do cybersecurity with thousands of people at home. Um, and then finally, which is less obvious in IT, but very important in terms of the projects they do, which is the digital transformation stuff. Of all those digital transformation pro projects that they're working on, 
how are they going to be different now that the business is different? So maybe we should tackle it in those four parts and see what we come up with. Okay, so I, I, I jotted down so we can go through it. So let's go first there. Managing capability. When you said capabilities, and I'm probably Howard jumping in here, are we talking about the capabilities that IT delivers or the capabilities on a different way? I mean, I would say, I, I would say it's, it's broader than it's ever been before because no longer is IT responsible just for its capabilities, right? But all of a sudden they have to enable the business capabilities to operate in a completely 100% distributed fashion, right? So, so I, think it's, I think it's broader than it was and, and far more complicated. Um, you know, the, the biggest challenge that I've seen kind of, I would split into two buckets when it comes to capabilities. The first is uh, the lack of business continuity planning uh, in reality, right? Uh, your business continuity plan is supposed to extend disaster recovery to um, how do I keep the business running when at the very least my facilities are no longer available? Well, the, the, the scramble that I've seen shows that, that, we need to kind of go back to the drawing board on BCP. So go a little bit deeper in that, Howard, because so traditionally <clears throat> organizations do only a disaster recovery testing, if we even call it that, probably once or twice a year. And, and it's just DR, right? It's just system failover. In reality, they're supposed to do business continuity planning and they are supposed to test their business continuity planning, which is effectively there is a, a, some sort of environmental issue that prevents us from occupying a building. How do we handle that, right? Where's the meeting location? How do we deploy phones? How do we continue services lacking facilities to go to? And while this is an extreme version of that because it's effectively you know, an asterisk instead of the name of the building because it's all of them, um, we still really should have had these things written for every one of our facilities and had been practicing them. Yeah, that, that, that's a really important point. Like BCP, even if you had one, it probably wasn't a all company BCP, right? It was probably a single location BCP or a single uh, city or a single state or a single country. This is worldwide BCP. Sure, means... but I still should have BCP for each of those things, not sure. just one. I shouldn't have you, cherry picked. You can't anticipate necessarily that this pandemic you needed to be prepared for, right? That you that for sure one hundred percent of your workforce needed for to sure. be somewhere else, right? So sure. this is obviously the most the absolute worst case BCP, right? Right, and and it's fair that these organizations simply don't have that. And now you have to think about the distinct difference between BCP information worker and BCP task worker, I, and while you'd think that the task worker was easier. I'd argue that information worker was much more difficult uh, because task workers work by themselves for the most part, where information workers work as a team for the most part, right? They're either creating something or they're solving a problem, right? They're collaborating to solve a problem. So if you're used to doing it in a room with a whiteboard in a war room, or you're doing agile scrum application development, very hard to do that in a highly distributed way. So kind of though, right? Yeah, um, I'm going to ask because isn't it really that different when you have people that have worked across geographical regions that now they have to keep working geographically or is there something different in, in, now that we have to 
take into consideration. I, I think there were very rare, successful Agile Scrum teams that didn't sit beside each other in a room delivering, a, you know, new code on a daily basis. That's all. Like, sure, technically, one could do it just like we're doing it right now. Uh, but, you know, in its true sense, they're working side by side, each looking at code, each revising things, each, you know, adding a field where they need to add a field in order to get some promotable software on a daily basis or a weekly basis. It's, it's just that much harder. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just that much harder versus I would a, say it's, it's, it is harder in that it, it, yeah. it increases the complexity it increases the load, but it's also the easiest group to work with, right? Like the problem with a task worker is a task worker is used to going into an environment created by someone else, sitting in an environment created by someone else, working with, with, things that are controlled by someone else and if they have a problem they go hey i have a problem and yeah. they're the ones that most frequently would have a problem right the number of tech support calls you get from software developers about what goes on on their laptop is grossly different than the number of tech workers that you know plugged in a, a microphone a headset over the weekend turned on the microphone and knocked it behind the computer and now are wondering why their computer's acting funny right um, like, and, and, and i would distinguish the difference between service desk which is going to encounter those problems um, and like a banking contact center, call center, where they're most likely answering the exact same questions all the time. And you should be able to package up that script, not only they have it now and work alone, like they do the eight hours now in their home. Sure. So you're right. Service desk in IT needs to now be 10 times as big because now you're asking for them to answer a whole bunch of home-based technical questions, to which right. they normally wouldn't have answered. Before yeah, they normally wouldn't have cared, right? Yeah. Friends, are you watching this from all the different platforms? This conversation applies to you and also your friends. So I want you to click the share button that you have on the bottom of your screen. If you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, click the share button so you can share it on other places. If you're watching this through a link that we posted on LinkedIn, make sure that you share with other people because the idea is that we can come and we can have this conversation with you and with everybody else, we're, we're monitoring the chat for you guys who can send us questions. And so we were discussing about that change in the BCP, in how the pandemic have changed how we do things. And the conversation was going in the way that different workers have different requirements. And we probably have thought about that, but then how do we as IT leaders, uh, Howard and Paul, can look into making then those workers a little bit more efficient or helping them to focus during this pandemic so they can continue to probably do what they need to do. So I would say this is a really good opportunity to be a leader and a really bad opportunity to be a boss, right? The, the hardest thing about now is it's disruptive for everyone. And kind of to Paul's point, our service desk needs to be 10X what it was before. That means the focus needs to be a lot less on internal meetings and a lot more on internal customer support, right? Regardless of whether you're tier one or you're tier three or you're an architect, whatever it happens to be, right? Um, so, so I would say the number one thing that I would do as a leader is really focus on enabling my people to be as effective in enabling those capabilities of the business as possible. Right, so start really focusing on, are these meetings actual meetings or are these meetings things that can be solved with, a, with an email or a Slack chat, as an example. So leveraging right. technology for what is supposed to be used. 
Absolutely. I would also say let's take advantage of the fact that this is the worst case scenario. If you don't have someone continually doing uh, a live action report, I was going to say an after action report, but really, because this isn't over, a live action report and constantly sending out lessons learned, you're really probably missing a, a good, good bit of the point. I think that's an amazing point. I think if you can consider this worst case scenario and you do this 50% well, you're probably going to do 100% well in a situation that's much more likely to occur, right? Where it's a single data center or a single office or, you know, a, a big, uh, a big uh, weather-based event, you should be able to handle that because it's more contained. So and as IT leaders, you guys have worked with big organizations or with small organizations. So what is the normal requirement that the leaders receive from the business? so they can push down to the people. Because we're talking about managing the capabilities that the IT organization might have. So think about it a little bit from before and from now what you're seeing. Are they just keep keeping the lights on or should we be trying to innovate with what we currently have? I think that leads to sort of part two of this point with you know leading in a, in a pandemic. And that part two is resiliency and capacity. Right, where I have thought um, as an IT leader in terms of I need to keep my systems up, I need to create um, internet availability, I need to make sure I have uh, uh, network openness across all of my branches and to my clients. Um, but I thought less about capacity, and not because um, I thought capacity was important. It's that I tend to buy more capacity than I needed any one period of time. Right? I always had extra, and when I needed extra, I would you know, create that capacity for it. But now capacity and resiliency is far less about my data center, far less about um, what's available in my branch site, and far more about where that capacity now sits, which is federated in thousands of homes, right? So now I'm less concerned about my telco connection to my website. Um, it's, I'm still concerned but I'm now concerned about the thousands of telco connections in my individual staff member to their site. What do I have to do? Or do they have enough bandwidth? Do they have unlimited bandwidth? Do, do I need to start paying for going from their small, short, um, and expensive environment to something cheaper for them? Do I have to give them a dual concern where they have both cable and satellite? Right? because they become far more important to me when I have an end, end point, right? So that's, I have to shift my way from centralized to edge or to federated sort of because of that. Well, well, and we've got a lot of, of companies right now that went from 100 concurrent VPN connections to 100,000 concurrent VPN connections, right? right? And, and that's not a light switch. It was turned on like a light switch, but it doesn't work like a light switch. It's not provisioned like a light switch, right? Um, and, and we went from my concern with my data center is how do I bring my, um, you know, my controlled connections, right? My branch connections, my private network bandwidth back to my data center and ensure that all of the business transactions happen. And I'm less concerned about my data center to the internet connection, right? Um, but now that's shifted. The private connections that I'm paying for are effectively completely and utterly empty, right? And everything comes in now through my VPN concentrators. 
And so what I'm seeing is, uh, is abject panic, right? Um, people spinning up services that they didn't, that weren't necessary before. They weren't mission critical before. Slack wasn't necessarily mission critical before. Zoom wasn't necessarily mission critical before, mm -hmm. right? Um, things that we didn't look at the same way, now we really have to focus on. How does Zoom handle 12 people? How does Teams handle 25 people? What is the best platform to deliver information to 150, 300, 500, 700, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 people at a time? Right. These were not questions you had to actually answer before, right? And, and now everyone must answer these. And it's right? something that we have had the capabilities to do it, but what we're seeing is that because it was not mission critical, it was not thought about how to do it all the time. If, it was, if there was a town hall or there was some type of big meeting that happened once or twice a month or even a quarter, then you go outside to look for that. But it looks like we now need to be looking to bring those skills in-house because that could become the norm. Well, it's, it's, I think it's more than that too, right? Um, when, if we did a big town hall, what would we do? We'd go, hey, this office is doing the town hall in this room. This right. office is doing the town hall in this room, right? We'd, we'd consolidate together and we were asked to consolidate together and we'd ask people to consolidate together to bring that number down. That's no longer an option, right? Even if you could gather in groups of three, I don't know about your state, my, my state's on a lockdown. I'm not allowed to gather in groups of three or I'm strongly discouraged from gathering groups of three. And to be honest, I don't really want to gather in groups of three. So now we, we're really faced with something that's totally different. And that impacts small things like provisioning, where you know you, ha you had a small IT team, you asked for a laptop, you asked for a mobile phone, they provisioned it for you, they walked to your desk, they gave you the phone, they, they gave you a little training. Well, that can't occur like that anymore, right? Provisioning now is all the way to the house. And therefore, you can't do it centrally. You've got to think about somebody else doing the provisioning. Do I need to go to Best Buy and have them do the provisioning of my laptops and phones for me? It's a very different subset of how you'd operate even your edge device. You know, you mentioned something that I seen some companies take advantage a long time ago. That was that instead of doing a centralized purchase or a standard for an equipment, they created a standard set of tools so you can then leverage any equipment that you wanted. I saw that at Microsoft a long time ago. And it was a very, you know, very interesting because you could go, like you said, you could go to Best Buy, pick up a laptop, and normally you will have to wait for your traditional IT organization to provision and get everything connected. But Microsoft would say, hey, I don't have a need for that. And they just plug you into Azure Active Directory and you were up and running. And all your apps that you needed were provisioned for you. Yeah, we've got to think about being able to order a Hitachi phone and laptop from Best Buy and then going to pick it up or have them delivered to you. Like that, it's got to be that smooth of a process, especially since a good portion of the people that are now at home have never been at home. Right, so they've probably never had a laptop before from work, and therefore the images that we need to put on them need to be far more standardized because they're task workers, not information workers. Well, these, uh, this concept need, now needs to be prepackaged far easier and far used to the uh, consumer experience than what it has been in the past. So one of my favorite technologies as a CIO um, has always been, for decades anyways, I guess not always, but, but at least since about 2006, uh, has been Citrix. 
And today, uh, you should probably be running Citrix or something similar. Right. An aggregated RDP that allows you to publish apps that your users can log in and get the apps that they use pushed to them on whatever device they happen to be on. Because trying to provision, you know, a thousand new laptops with a corporate image that has the applications that's pushed out or get the infrastructure to do that, traditionally is impossible right now. And that's very interesting. I actually had a meeting with them yesterday because I had uh, some people close to me that asked me about that. They, even though they were a small shop, they cannot go to their office. And sure. they were looking for a way how they can get their apps so they can work it from, from home. So if you're a big shop, they actually, there, there's technology. And I think that, that the whole message is we need to start thinking different. We need to think not so much into decentralization, into that I have the control and how do I provision the standard across the board without thinking that had to be only one way. Like you mentioned Citrix. Well, Microsoft has an option, but how do I do it simply across all of them? How do I provide the apps that are needed for whatever they need to do? Well, and I, and I think that's kind of, I mean, I think we should, we should get out of the hardware business, not yeah. to, not to, not to, you know, put you find a point on it, but, but stop thinking about these things as being hardware dependent. And, mm -hmm. and we've done a really good job about that in the data center, right? We virtualized everything as, in as much as we can, right? And we think about every new thing that gets brought online has less and less and less attachment to any kind of physical hardware, right? It's virtual, it's container, it's serverless, right? We're, we're shooting for the smaller and smaller and smaller kind of um, data center attachment, whether that's, you know, on-prem or public cloud, but we don't do that for endpoints. And I almost think we should have done it the other way around. Right. We should have really thought about the endpoints. Uh, you know, I did this years ago. Um, these are the like six or seven machines you could have. Pick one. Uh, they were purchased from uh, something that had a local source. So if it was an Apple, it was bought from Apple, not a third party. Right. And it bought, was bought with Apple Care. If you had problems, you could not call the help desk. You carried it into Apple. Right. Right. Because it just it just doesn't make sense to continue to push this kind of hardware focus when it comes to the endpoint, right? I don't care about your keyboard and mouse, throw it away and buy another one and expense it to your, to your cost center. Then I don't have to deal with the cost center either. Um, and, it, and it really, like the load that that relieved from IT and the amount of personalization that, al that, that allowed the business unit to have was, was great. And all I had to care about was, is the standard app something that, that's easy to push or is the standard app something I can make available through Citrix? Mm -hmm. And then I just do that. And, the, and, and it kind of like it, it, it loosened the amount of IT overhead needed on, by an incredible amount. And we're going to get into it a little bit more later, but it, it also somewhat simplifies security. I say somewhat because there's always, you know, cautions to go along with that. That is the perfect segue to topic number three. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk cybersecurity. Because uh, clearly it is a fundamental problem ongoing in IT. Um, it's not going away. And I would, in fact, argue that the pandemic is, in fact, going to make it worse. And what's going to make it worse is that I now have additional dimensions to be considering about. And that this is an opportunity for bad guys to, to break into your house when you're away. 
Uh, this is an opportunity for bored people at home who have the technical means to try their best to break into your business, right? So you cannot take your eye off the ball in the traditional cybersecurity concerns. However, in addition, you now have a thousands of new endpoints with thousands of new potential viruses and thousands of potential new users who are not used to the security protocols. Thousands of new users that are not paying attention to what buttons they click and what emails they open and what, what uh, documents they open, right? These things will have an impact to your systems. And now I have to consider this uh, instead of 10 branches, 10,000 branches. So what does that mean to me from a cybersecurity perspective? Well, what would have been the first thing for you, Howard? Well, what, knowing this happened. Uh, I would not have been able to VPN. I mean, the first thing I would have done was expand my RDP, my remote desktop workload, right? Um, significantly, I probably would have put it in Azure and and done or AWS, right? A public cloud, and I would have I would have uh, provisioned that way. Like Citrix now supports that, and Microsoft has supported it for a while. I actually think in Azure, the official Microsoft um, recommended methodology is in fact a, a Citrix deployment um, because of exactly what you said, right? Um, I have to know that instead of having 60 entry points, I now have the number of employees plus 60, whatever I had before, plus the number of employees, right? Those are right. my new entry points, right? right? If, if a laptop gets compromised, if a keylogger is installed on one of those laptops, right. how damaging will that be to my environment? Right. Like that has to be the, the outlook. Forget about a virus, I, you know, data gets deleted from the laptop, like that should be my, the, my, my a lesser concern, right? But really, a keylogger should be a big concern. And then secondarily, um, a, a DDoS was something that, that sucked, right? A dynamic uh, denial of service attack or distributed denial of service attack. But, but that's because, okay, they screw with the internet connection at the data center. Right. But at least my private connections still work. Now it's the opposite, right? A DDoS on, a, on, a, on my VPN concentrator IP is a massive problem. Right. So how do I mitigate that? What is the alternative when, when VPN doesn't work, right? Um, and, and that would be the first, those would be the very first things that I looked at, followed up immediately by social engineering is going to spike if this lasts more than a month, right? Imagine somebody knocks on your door and says, hey, I'm from your IT department. Like they know where you work from, from a little bit of research on Facebook and other social media and LinkedIn, right? Then they knock on your door and say, hey, um, you know, corporates asked me to come by and install the new patches. You had trouble with it last time. Even if you go, I don't, I didn't have trouble with it last time. I, look, I just do what corporate tells me to do. Like, like, okay, but I don't recognize you. Right, right. Do you honestly think corporates had enough people? I'm a contractor. This is my right. contract agency. Exactly. Right. right. And before long, you let them in, you log in, they plug a USB stick in and that, and that box is compromised. Right. Social engineering 101 or, hey, I'm I'm standing outside the branch. I've got to get in and turn things off or turn things on or turn things up or provision or do whatever. Um, you need to come down and meet me. Right. Social distancing. You're not even going to get within 10 feet of that person. You're probably not going to question them too, too hard. Right. Right. If you do, great. But the concern is when you don't. Right. It's the concern is never when things work. It's when things don't work. Um, so social engineering, I think, is going to be a huge challenge and something that, that we're going to really have to figure out. That and, and trusted sources. Like if I'm managing an attack from um, a foreign country halfway around the world, I can, 
I know what to do in that event, right? I can I can look at firewalls and say, I'm not gonna accept transactions from this particular source. But if all of those transactions and all of that attack is coming from your 100,000 existing users and employees now attacking you, well, that's something I'm not used to, right? That's not something I would have been prepared for. Yep. Which means, and I use this all the time, patching, patching, patching. <laughs> as CIOs, we're very poor and we lack focus on ensuring that our equipment is patched, that our endpoints are patched, that our mobile and laptops are patched. This will be incredibly and fundamentally important for us to pay attention to. Well, then we've owned the endpoints and I would say the endpoints are the last things we patch. Right. Right. We look at the data center and we go, this must be patched. Patch Tuesday rolls around. We have a process procedure. It all gets done. We have remediation steps that we take, right? We can force things to happen by the business, but 10,000, 30,000, 50,000, a hundred thousand endpoints. Eh, if we're within a 10% margin of error, right? Because we at least control them. They're within our space and we're monitoring those connections and we're looking for, you know, we're able to look at the traffic and, and do all kinds of neat and interesting things that are now impossible. That's right. Nobody worries about a desktop. They worry about lockdowns. Right. <laughs> and, and really crypto locker, right? Crypt, right. Uh, uh, should have really taught us to do the opposite because the entry point for that isn't generally your server. It's generally someone on a workstation encrypting a, a file share. Right. Um, and I would say that would be another thing that I, you know, one of the things that I stopped doing years ago was allowing map drives. Hmm. Just, just flat out don't allow it. I don't care what you think it is. It's a UNC path. It's always a UNC path. It's a UNC path. And while that's quasi security through obscurity, the goal is you're never going to get to 100% secure ever. The NSA is not 100% secure. No one's 100% secure. Right. What you're going to, what you want to do is make the barrier of entry so hard that the attacker looks for a, a softer target. Right. Right. So, so aim for what, what makes you an easy target and let's get rid of those things. Let's harden those things. Let's make those things particularly difficult. So one thing that we, that you mentioned that I was just thinking about is that we sometimes as IT focus on our own equipment but we don't train our employees to look at what they have in the house. Because if your kid's laptop, that they're playing a game, all of a sudden have access to your laptop or to your network, that could affect you too. Yep. Yeah, 100%, right? Um, it is one attack surface. It's, it's actually very similar to why we do social distancing, right? We do social distancing to lower our immune system's attack surface. Right. That's literally why we do it. And we maybe we should start thinking about the kind of some of the same things in IT. How do I lower, how do I enable social distancing between my corporate data and my corporate assets from all of the things that want to touch it? That's a good topic. Social distancing for IT. <laughs> uh, the good news is most of IT is good at it. Like we're a whole bunch of introverts. So <laughs> for me, this has been a party. Like I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to see anybody. This is amazing. How do I do this all the time? <laughs> uh, two more things I think that, uh, that we need to address with cybersecurity. So the first one I think is uh, a shift away, not away, but to be less focused on sort of backups and archiving and more on operational recovery. 
because I think we're going to make far more mistakes than we used to in the past. And those far more, those mistakes need to be recovered far quicker than they used to before. I can't wait for the night before. I made a mistake now, fix the mistake now. So we got to think what that means technologically. And then the second part is more organizational where I'm used to having my own security team, probably the ones that are looking for the events and managing the events, but I should also think about outsourcing that too, maybe as a secondary feature where I have a secondary security SOC that's looking 724, that's thinking about and has expertise in hundreds of thousands of endpoints instead of managing data centers to which where my expertise is. This is your opportunity to think about sort of dividing and conquer capability. So are you saying that we need to raise our hand and say that we need help? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think raising our hand and saying we need help is, <laughs> should be the universal symbol moving forward. Right. right. I mean, ultimately, what this should have taught us is there are things we do well and things we don't do well. And we should concentrate not on being the jack of all trades and master of none, but mastering those things that are really core to our business and then looking for partners that can help us fill in those gaps and really take over mastery of those things, right? Um, personally, I don't ever wanna manage my own data center again. I wanna outsource it to someone that really truly understands how to keep power and cooling running to the absolute maximum level of efficiency and accessibility in a facility that is purpose-built and hardened that has more connectivity to the world than I could ever even hope to document, much less manage. And I should really kind of think about other things that way. It doesn't mean I give up control or I give up responsibility. It means I look for someone to help hold a hand, right? Kind of to your point, I'm not looking to outsource all of my security, but I'm looking to augment my security with people that are better at dedicated pieces of that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So fourth corner of this square, digital transformation. Now, arguably a much more difficult conversation, right? Uh, uh, not because it's outside of IT, because it's really about the all the projects I probably are putting on hold because the business is closed, right? Or it's not performing as well as it should. So of those, you know, 60% of what I do in IT, those projects, which are innovation focused, that are focused on building new revenue or a different client experience or uh, creating a different level of operational efficiency, how do I now... Uh, rearticulate those projects or even create a new set of projects because of that. And now it's, it's very industry specific, right? So when I look at retail, retail other than grocery stores and pharmacies are closed, right? You're not, those, in fact, they've furloughed all of those sales employees, right? So now it's less about- Furloughed, you're definitely Canadian, sir. <laughs> we just fire them here. Oh, fair enough. Um, in reality, there's a lot more open than, than just those, but, but it is a truly different experience. Sure. But, and, and a lot of what I hear is now the reality is those products are still required, right? It's not like the need for the products are going away. Uh, maybe a percentage of them, but let's say the vast majority of that products still exist, need to be purchased. And therefore the shift from going in store to going online or using the mobile app exists. However, a good portion, especially the mom and pop retail chains, simply don't have the infrastructure to support transactions that are going through that world. So now I'm underperforming in my mobile and, and, and online experience. In fact, my online experience might have just shown the products and not actually able to commerce on the products, right? 
versus a bank, as an example, that already do most of their transactions online and mobile. Yes, you can go into a branch. That is not where most of the transactions occur. Therefore, they're still effectively operating regardless, and most of the banks are still open, but, but they're still effectively operating even if the banks were closed. They're focused much more on how do I ensure that I can create the sense of community? In other words, how can I ensure the bank can be the conduit to the marketplace, to the bakery, to have the muffins that need to get to my house? And knowing, especially in Canada, it's not as true in the US, but especially in Canada, where our population is significantly smaller than the US and uh, spread out significantly more than the US, that there are locations in Canada to which there is no delivery, right? Pick up in an hour isn't reasonable, right? So we've got to think about different ways of getting these products to the end point when uh, it, you know, your closest Starbucks is an hour away. I I don't know that my concern in a pandemic is how do I get my Starbucks? And I realize I'm probably in the minority based on how Starbucks stock tends to operate. Um, I use, uh, let's say loaf of bread then. So, 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 so let me give you an example. My closest grocery store is a round trip 30 minute drive. I don't know that that's uncommon for the US necessarily either. Mm. Like mine is, is a solid, it's at least 15 minutes by car round trip. Right. Um, but they don't have anything. Right. Right. Um, and if I wanted to do a, a, um, a, an online order with a store pickup, I can't. All the slots for all the grocery stores around me are full. And I don't mean full today. I mean full for the next 10 days. For the duration of the calendar window they have open, they have zero availability. Right? The right. failure to be able to, and it's not really their, like a, it's not their fault. I don't, I, don't, I don't have another solution for them. Right. Um, based on on the way things are now, I'm I'm not angry at them, but it is a frustrating situation because uh, it was an underutilized service before this pandemic. Now it is an exceptionally overutilized service. Um, and just in general, like we're not, we have no preparedness to deal with an alternative delivery method or experience would be the better way to put it. Right. Right. Um, I, I like to start digital transformation conversations with the definition of digital transformation. Right? It is to change your business to deliver your products in the way your customers wish they could receive them. Mm -hmm. And this is a really, really, really good time to look at how are people shopping today and know that um, the things that are overburdened, you should probably think about expanding. And how do I improve the experience that, that is today? Because in reality, um, I'm going to use Best Buy as an example because I went there two and a half hours ago uh, trying to get prepared actually for this because I wanted to get a new mic. I got a new, my camera set up. I have a little bit different, different workspace that I needed to get some pieces and parts for. My laptop only has two USB as an example. Um, the experience is you cannot go to the store. There is no, there is no in-store experience. You go to the website, you pick products that are in, in stock, you complete your order, they send you an email saying your order is ready for pickup. You pull into a lane and someone comes out and greets you and says, hey, what's your name and why are you here? Mm -hmm. uh, they're very polite. I, you know, I wouldn't be. There's no way that I would do that and be successful at it. But, but then they go in the store, they find your thing, they come out, they check your ID, they hand you the thing that you ordered. Um, it's actually kind of a fantastic experience, if I'm being honest. And I would, I would prefer to do that 100% of the time. 
That, and that's the irony. The irony is that there's an assumption that once the pandemic is completed, everybody goes back to the way they used to do business. When in fact, this might in fact be the new norm. You can't, you can't take something away that people like. They're but, going to like this process. And therefore, your business has now changed fundamentally. And, and I think the question is, should your business change? Right. Right. Like, should your desire be to support this new model going forward? Is this now your new and? It's not an or. Is this now your new and? Um, what are the lessons? That's why I said I think an ongoing lessons learned, right? Not, a, not an after action report, but a live action report is really, really critical for the whole business, right? What did we learn today? Because I promise you, you've learned something today. And the business needs to do the same thing. What did we learn today? Well, we learned sales are down 73% when I can't get stock to the store because they order from Amazon. I don't mm -hmm. care what the retailer is. But that's kind of the default. Can I get it in the next, can I get it today? If the answer is no, then I'll probably look to Amazon. It tends to be kind of like, that's why they're a trillion dollar company. Right. Right. And so, so then it needs to become, okay, so how do I change things so that I'm able to deliver that experience today? Interestingly enough, I cannot get a monitor. I, I have one store I can show. I, I only have a Best Buy in my town. Um, and, and they're all sold out of monitors, gaming consoles, um, the things that people all of a sudden need when they're, when they're at home all the time. I can't get a video camera as an example. Right, oh, right, right. Yeah, there's, there are no webcams. There's no speaker phones. Like, those things are completely gone. Um, and, and I want to say it's more than a week until they refresh it. That's, that's true for Staples and Office Depot as well. So, so then the question will come, all this that it looked to be a new change, you just mentioned Amazon. Amazon grew so much because they listened to what their customers were asking. It was, can you deliver the product that I want in the way that I want it in the time that I need or that I want? But it's more than that, right? Amazon's all about the wish. They're not about how do I do it the way I did yesterday? How do I do it? How do I deliver to you the way you expect? How do I change your expectations? Prime is a perfect example. Someone came up with the idea, an Amazon person came up with the idea for Prime in a brainstorming meeting and said, hey, I think this would be a good idea. Executives said, that sounds interesting. Run with it and deliver it. And they had it up and running from idea to delivery in 90 days. Mm. Wow. Right? Amazon is, Amazon is not a retailer. It'd be silly to think of them that way. Amazon is a logistics company. They do logistics better than absolutely anyone else. Um, and they do it by being extremely data focused and extremely agile. Amazon is, is very, very willing to say, I think this might be a wish, let's give it a shot. And if it fails, it fails, no big deal. But if it succeeds, we've accomplished another wish and we've transformed how the market looks and thinks about whatever the experience is to our benefit. They're very, very good at that. Yep last mile business plans and business models will be a winning investment going forward. A hundred percent. Like if I was a restaurant today, um, I would be working on what is my social media presence? How do I inform people of what's going on in my restaurant without having to come into the restaurant? And how do I get them the products in a way that's convenient for them? Right. So my friends, we have talked about four key areas that IT leaders think and different options that have helped uh, 
our executives that are with us here today. And we want to invite you to this conversation. This is the team from the sweet spot where IT executives share their ideas in how to really manage IT with leadership and to help companies to move forward. So we have had Paul Lewis and Howard Holton. The topic today was how to manage IT on a pandemic and the topic was spread into managing the capability, resiliency and capacity, cybersecurity, digital transformation, but we're not done. We want you to know that we're here to listen to you and to help you with whatever challenges you have within your IT and leadership. So reach out to us, leave us your comment on the different social media platform because we wanna to listen to you and we wanna help you so you can succeed in IT. Any last words, my friends? Thanks much, stay safe, watch some more Netflix. Yeah, stay safe. And, uh, and you know, I was asked in a podcast I did last week, what would your advice be right now? And my advice right now is educate. If you're a leader, give your people a, a Udemy or a Pluralsight or a masterclass or some other sort of uh, LinkedIn learning subscription. If you're an individual contributor looking to, to spend some time that was freed up by meetings that never should have been meetings and should have been emails instead, take advantage of the time and learn something. Learn a language, uh, learn how to program, learn how to cook, um, you know, read, read a piece of literature, educate in some way, take advantage of the time, you'll just be better for it. And please stay safe. My friends, you have it. We'll see you on our next episode. Bye.